Man, I love that song. Wasn't that a great song? Wasn't that wonderful? That was awesome. I love that song. Such a great, great message. And I want to welcome those of you who are watching at our Mill Creek campus as well as those who are watching online. Uh, I'm here at our Sugarloaf campus. We're one church in two locations. We've got another campus at Mill Creek High that meets about 20 miles north of us. And so I want to encourage you to attend whichever campus is uh, closest to you. And I'm really, really glad to see you here today. Uh, this is going to be uh, a tough message for some of us. And so let me just kind of warn you ahead of time. Some of them are not so tough. This one will be. And I want you to take a very, and I'm serious, I want you to take a deep breath right now before you hear this story. It was Father's Day, 1999, and Ron Schanenberger jumped into the shower and told his wife, Amy, to, take, to uh, wake up their seven-month-old boy, Tyler. When Amy walked into the bedroom, she found him face down in his crib, stiff and cold. She screamed. Ron came running into the bedroom, told her to call 911. Baby was already dead. When the doctors examined the baby, they said it was SIDS, or Sudden Infant Death Syndrome. They buried that little seven-month-old boy two days later. After the funeral, Amy is home, sitting on her couch, as any mother would be, weeping and sobbing absolutely uncontrollably. She's racked with guilt because she had a job and she had worked late that Saturday night before Father's Day and she was exhausted when she got in. And uh, Ron had already put the baby to bed and so she just went to sleep totally exhausted. So she sat on that couch weeping with her head in her hands. Her husband Ron sat down next to her and told her this unbelievable story. As that precious little month, seven little seven-month-old baby boy was playing with his feet in the crib, Ron wrapped his head in um, plastic wrap, went and sat down, ate dinner, brushed his teeth, came back just in time to see his little boy take his last breath. He removed the wrap, turned the baby onto his stomach, switched off the light, and went to bed. Normally, he was always the first one to wake up and get up, and normally he would be the one to go get Tyler up. But that Father's Day morning, he asked Amy to do it because he purposely wanted her to be the one to discover that little boy's body. With a look of horror and shock, she looked at him and said, why did you do that? And he said, ready for this? Now we're even. She said, even for what? He then reminded her that when they were dating, she was on an ocean cruise with her mom and dad. His father died. So he managed to get a message to her in the middle of the ocean and told her to cut the ocean cruise short and come back to be with him because his father died. Well, she not only refused to do it, she did it because she couldn't do it. There was no way she could get back from that ship to get back for her father's funeral. And then he said to her, it was at that moment that I made up my mind, I was going to marry you, have a child with you, and then kill the child. What was it? that left behind the wreckage and the carnage 
of a seven-month-old baby boy, a devastated and shattered wife and mother, and a 49-year-old prison, a 49-year prison sentence for a husband and a dad and a broken marriage. What would cause somebody to do that? I'm going to tell you in one word what it is, and I promise you it's in this room this morning. It's in the room of every church that's open for business all around the world. It's in homes, it's in marriages, it's in relationships, it's in jobs, it's everywhere. And you know what it is. It's bitterness. Even the very word sounds bitter. Bitterness. We're in a series that we started Easter that we're calling Overwhelmed. And we've been dealing with the things that overwhelm us in life and just seem to take over. And you know, we all hit that point. There are times when life just seems too much. It seems like living tries to withdraw more than is in your bank account. So we get overwhelmed and the checks bounce, relational checks bounce, and emotional checks bounce, and financial checks bounce, and spiritual checks bounce, and, and everything seems to be falling apart. And over the last couple of weeks, we, we've dealt with being overwhelmed with guilt and how you deal with that. And then we've dealt with being overwhelmed with stress. But today, I, I want to deal with what I believe may be one of, if not the major problem in the church. We're, we're, uh, we're meeting in the, SB, the Southern Baptist Convention meeting in Columbus this year, and, and we're being led by a good buddy of mine, the president, Ronnie Floyd, to call our nation to spiritual awakening. And, and we all, we were meeting with some pastors, or some pastors and I were in a big meeting down in Orlando this week, and we were talking about the need for spiritual revival in the nation, spiritual revival in the church. And I'm absolutely convinced that one of the biggest things that's holding churches back and I'm absolutely convinced one of the biggest reasons why we're not doing more than we, we ought to be doing and we're not becoming more than we ought to be becoming is because of bitterness in the church. I, I honestly absolutely believe that, that if we were to pass buckets in this room and start filling it up with bitterness, we might run out of buckets. Well, we do a great job. We come in here with a smile on our face. We pretend everything's okay. But there are so many of us in this room, I really believe there's so many watching by on, uh, on the Internet, so many people at Mill Creek and others. And you're eating up, absolutely eating up and overwhelmed with bitterness. And even though bitter people hurt other people, nobody's hurt more than the person who's bitter. In fact, somebody put it this way. Bitterness is like drinking poison and waiting for the other person to die. That's true. And what's interesting about being bitter is, is that people who are bitter want to be bitter, and people who are bitter believe they have a right to be bitter. There was a fascinating study that was done in, in the Journal of Adult Development. They found that 75% of those surveyed believe they have been forgiven by God for things they've done wrong and, 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 and things that they've committed in the past, but only 52% of them say they've forgiven other people who have done them wrong, and 49, 43% even fewer who have done something wrong to somebody else, only 43% have actively sought that person out and asked forgiveness and asked for things to be made right. I honestly believe, as I've said, if we were collecting buckets, we'd run out of buckets. Maybe you're bitter toward God. You're bitter toward God because of a tragedy that happened in your life, and you blame him for it. You prayed for your child to be healed, but God didn't heal your child. You, you prayed that God would take the cancer away from your mother, but God didn't take the cancer away from your mother. I was in, uh, this week, I was playing golf down in Florida with a couple of buddies of mine, and I was uh, witnessing to the, to the, to the caddy. 
This caddy grew up in a, in a Lutheran church. His grandfather was a Lutheran minister. Totally walked away from Christianity. Trying, now he's kind of dabbling in Buddhism. And I, I got to spend a whole day just trying to witness to him and share the gospel with him and, 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 and believe I made some progress. But when I kind of dealt down deep and I asked him, I said, look, just why did you walk away from the faith? You know what he told me? He said, because my father died early of cancer and God didn't heal my dad. Bitterness. Maybe you're bitter toward a boss who unjustly fired you. Maybe you're bitter toward a spouse who left you for somebody else. Maybe you're bitter toward a business partner because they took financial advantage of you. Or maybe you're bitter toward a relative or a friend because they physically or sexually abused you. Maybe you're bitter toward a parent because they didn't spend enough time with you. Look around you. There are empty seats in every church today. You know why they're empty? Because there are people who are bitter toward the church. They had a bad experience in church. Somebody did them wrong. Somebody disappointed them. And they walked out the church door and they said, we will never be back again. So let me tell you what I mean by bitterness. Bitterness is harbored hurt hidden in the heart. Bitterness is harbored hurt hidden in the heart. Now let me tell you why I'm kind of passionate about this particular issue. I believe bitterness is the most dangerous emotion of all the emotions. More than jealousy, more than envy, more than lust, more than any other emotion you can dredge up. The one I fear more than anything else, the one that I know that, that absolutely can short-circuit my relationship with God, that can ruin my life, that can ruin my ministry, that can suck the joy out of my heart, the one that I fear more than anything else is this emotion called bitterness. And you say, well, pastor, why are you so afraid of bitterness? Because bitterness is the one emotion that destroys its own container. It's the one emotion that will eat you up from the inside out. And there's a brief passage in Scripture where the author deals with both the reality of bitterness and the secret to the removal of bitterness. So if you brought a copy of God's Word this morning or you have an iPad or a Bible or, or a, an iPhone or a smartphone, whatever, there's a book in the Bible called Hebrews. It's about four or five books back from the end of the Bible. Hebrews, and I want you to turn to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. And as you're turning, I just want to encourage you this morning, first of all, if you don't do anything else, okay, because let me tell you what's happened with some of us in this room right now. I promise you, it's happened with those of you watching by TV or watching on the internet or you're at Mill Creek, you just put up a wall in front of you. You just put a up a force field in front of you because you're already saying, I can hear what you're saying right now. Wait a minute, Buster. You don't know what went, you don't know how I've been wrong. You don't know what's been done to me. You don't know how I've been mistreated. Don't you sit there high and mighty and tell me to get rid of my bitterness. And you've absolutely convinced yourself you have a right to be bitter. And here's what's even worse. Some of you have gotten to where you even enjoy being bitter. I'm going to strongly, as best as I can, encourage you right now to remove the bitterness from your life before it continues to ruin your life. And now, those of you may be saying, I've tried and I've failed. Would you please help me? I'm going to give you the three simple steps that this altar finds, and I promise you, I've had to do it in my own life, and I guarantee you it works because it's not my solution, it's God's solution. If you're ready to do it, number one, You've got to go to the heart of your bitterness. That's the first thing you've got to do. It's painful. It hurts. It's not easy. I understand that. But you have got to go to the heart of your bitterness. Now, we're in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 15. Here's what the author said. 
See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. Let me just stop right there. I don't know all that that means, but I'll tell you this. I don't want to fail to obtain the grace of God. I want all the grace of God in my life I can possibly get. And you say, well, so do I. Keep reading. That no root of bitterness, very important that he puts it that way, that no root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. Now, God is the master psychologist. God is the master psychiatrist. He ought to be because he made us. He created us body. He created us soul. He created us spirit. He created the emotions. He created the mind. He created the intellect. Nobody knows you better than God because God made you. And it's really interesting that God, in, through the Holy Spirit, told the author of Hebrews to describe bitterness as a root. Now, now, now think about it because there's so much that bitterness has in common with a root. For example, a root is something you don't see on the outside right? A root is something that's just beneath the surface. It's, it's invisible to the eye, but it's just the re as real as the tree that it's connected to. It's just the real as the plant that it's connected to. Now, there's something else that bitterness and a root have in common. Even though a, a root is not very far from the surface, it stretches deep into the soil. See, there are a lot of us I, the bitterness is just below the surface. That's why you have a hair-trigger temper. That's why you're quick to snap and judge other people. That's why you don't take anything off anybody because you've got this bitterness raging within you. And on the outside, nobody sees it, but it's really, really deep into the soil of your life. And even though it's never very far from the surface of your lips of your life, it reaches deep into the soil of your heart. Because you see, just like any root has a seed and a soil, so does bitterness. Where, where does the root of bitterness come from? Remember what I said, bitterness is harbored hurt hidden in the heart. The seed of bitterness is the hurt, the injustice, the wrong that was done to you. That's the seed of bitterness. The soil of bitterness is the heart. And every day you don't get rid of that bitterness, that root grows deeper. And that root gets stronger. And that root takes more control of the way you think and the way you talk and the way you act. And it consumes your life. Now, let's just be honest. Look, we all get hurt. We all feel hurt. I mean, I could got up here this morning. I don't need you to raise your hand. I could say, you ever been wronged? Anybody ever done you wrong? You, you ever been mistreated? You ever been lied about? You ever been misjudged? You ever had anybody take advantage of you? Well, get in line. You don't think that hasn't happened to pastors? You don't think pastors don't understand what you're going through? You don't think we get misjudged? You don't think our motives are not impugned? You don't think people like to take shots at our reputation? You don't think we've ever been lied about? You don't think we've ever been lied to? Hey, we all get hurt or we all feel hurt. Now, sometimes the hurt's intentional. Sometimes people try to hurt us. They want to hurt us. They're out to hurt us. They really have hurt us. They really have done something wrong. I found sometimes the hurt is imagined. There are some of you right now, you're bitter over something that's really not even real. But you have convinced yourself that somebody's done you wrong. You've convinced yourself somebody mistreated you. And so you live in this state of bitterness even though the hurt is not even real. Now, here's the point. Whether the hurt is real or not doesn't matter. The problem is, on the one hand, most times, not all the time, but a lot of our hurts are so minor or so temporary, we either kind of deal with it or the most time we just kind of walk away from it. 
But then there's the biggies. Then there's the hard ones. Then there's the tough ones. It's when that lie is told about you, and you know it's a lie, they know it's a lie, but they tell the lie just the same. It's when people try to hurt you just because they think you've hurt them. Or they project their hurt someone's done to him onto you. That happens all the time. And see, a bitter person doesn't walk away from it. A bitter person doesn't let it go. When a bitter person is hurt, listen to this. When a bitter person is hurt, it means they always take that hurt to their heart. That's where they deposit the hurt. That's where they deposit the anger. That's where they deposit the bitterness. And then here's what we do. We fertilize it. We water it. We cultivate it. We feed it. We grow it. And it begins to dwell. And then after a while, we start justifying our bitterness. And here's, it always happens. I've seen it happen so many times. When we finally justify, yeah, we've got a right to be bitter. I've got a right to be angry. That person did me wrong. They've not made it right. Then here's what we do. We get negative. We get critical. We even start looking for faults in the person who hurt us just to make us even more bitter. Now, here's the interesting thing about bitterness. What, what's this? Bitterness is a root that you cannot see but it always bears fruit that you will see. It's interesting. It's a root that you can't see, but it always bears fruit that you will see. See, bitterness finds its root in your heart, but it bears its fruit in your life. That's why you've literally got to get to the root of the problem. You've got to go to the heart of your bitterness, and the first thing you've got to understand is the number one reason why I'm bitter is not because of what that person did to me. That's not why I'm bitter. The number one reason why I'm bitter is I've got a bitter heart. I've allowed the root of bitterness to take soil in my heart. See, let me tell you something I've never had happen in my ministry. It's so, so rare to see this. Very few bitter people will ever admit they're bitter. I mean, how many times have you ever had this happen? It's really kind of funny. How many times have you ever kind of touched somebody's nerve, and, man, they start spewing out stuff, and they just get so angry, and their eyes get big, and, I mean, their veins pop out, and then they'll go, now, I'm not bitter. You ever had that happen? Isn't that funny? Now I'm not bitter. Well, then you want to go, well, boy, don't ever let me see you if you do get bitter. Well, I, I, I'm not bitter, but they are. Oh, you can't see the root, but you can see the fruit. So, number one, you've got to go to the heart of your bitterness. Number two, you need to see the hurt of your bitterness. You need to see the hurt of your bitterness. Now, the author of Hebrews expressly warns us. He said, let me just warn you, tell you right now. Remember what he said in that verse? He said, if you let this root of bitterness spring up, he says unequivocally, it causes trouble. A bitter root always brings bitter fruit, and this root is no different. Now, I want to show you how this works out. This is why I'm so afraid of bitterness. Bitterness will affect every part of you. It affects you on the outside. It affects you on the inside. It will affect your relationship with God. It will affect your relationship with others. It will affect your relationship with yourself. Let me just tell you how bitterness affects you. This is why, again, it's so dangerous. Number one, bitterness affects you mentally. It affects you mentally. As the root of bitterness grows, it will take up more and more of the soil of your heart. Bitterness is kind of like a fast-growing cancer. 
you know, that takes over this organ, then it takes over that organ, then it takes over that vital part of your body, then it takes over this vital part of your body, and it grows relentlessly until it finally takes over the body and it kills it. Bitterness is a spiritual and an emotional cancer. Because you think about this. Here's what happens. When you're really bitter towards some, you know who you carry with you everywhere you go? The person you're bitter toward. You, take, you, you carry a mental picture of them, not in your wallet, but in your heart and in your mind. Everywhere you go, you think about them constantly. You dream about how you can hurt them. You spend waking moments thinking about how you can get even with them. Because, see, when you've got an internal conflict because of an external conflict that you've had with someone else, it will affect you psychologically until you resolve it. I, this, is, this is fascinating. I read this the other day. I didn't realize this. There's a term for what I'm talking about. It's called the Zygarnik effect. Now, I'm sure you haven't heard about that. Let me explain it. The Zygarnik effect is what scientists refer to as the brain's process of keeping unresolved issues under active status. So once a task is successfully completed, the brain will, will, will kind of file it into a special memory bank and it no longer is given priority attention. But if you've got a situation that hasn't been resolved, your brain is so wired it will keep it on active file until a solution is found. Now, let me, let me give you an example of the Zygarnik effect. You've all had it. You just know what to call it. Have you ever met someone and you knew who they were, but you couldn't call their name? How many of you have had that? How many of you right now are just saying, I don't even remember your name. Just hold your hand up. All right, look. It, it drives you nuts, doesn't it? It just absolutely drives you nuts. You say, I know that person. I know who that person I know their name. But you just can't call their name, right? You've had that happen. Now, how many of you had this happen to you? Two hours later, you're watching TV or you're cooking dinner or you're out puddling in the grass. And all of a sudden, you go, John Smith. Why did his name all of a sudden pop up? Why did her name pop up? It's the Zygarnik effect. Your brain is wired in such a way that it says, until you get this issue resolved, I'm going to keep this on active status. I'm going to keep this in an open file. I am not going to get rid of this. I'm not going to let you get away from this until you finally get this issue resolved. The brain won't let it go. Bitterness has the same effect on your mind. It has the same effect on your brain. And your brain will not let that go until that bitterness is resolved. It will affect you mentally. We all know this. Bitterness will affect you emotionally. Doctors now know that bitterness is kind of like a depressant. Matter of fact, I know that's true. Let me tell you something. I got thinking about this as I was working on this message several weeks ago. There is one type of person... I have never met in my life. This just hit me. I didn't even thought about it this much. There is one, I mean, I have met tens of thousands of people. I'm not exaggerating. I've met literally tens of thousands of people. But there's one type of person I have never met in my life, and I bet you'd say the same thing. I have never met a happy, joyful, bitter person. Have you? Have you ever met someone who just said, it's such a joy to be bitter? So wonderful to be bitter. You ought to try it. There's nothing like it. Never have. I've never met any bitter person that's full of joy and full of happiness. Why? Because bitter people are critical. They're negative. They're fault-finding. And if they're honest, they battle depression. Let me tell you something else. Bitter people, you watch this, they tend to be emotionally distant. A, a bitter person is kind of like a porcupine. 
They may have a lot of good points. You just can't get close to them. You'll get it. Just think it through. Bitter people, they find it hard to emotionally connect with other people. You know why? Because they're so emotionally disconnected in their heart, they really can't connect with others. Let me tell you something else you'll find about bitter people. Because they're unforgiving people, they're ungrateful people. One of the marks of a bitter person is they're just ungrateful. You know why? Because bitterness is just like kryptonite to gratitude. Let me put it to you this way. Think about this. You simply cannot be grateful to God for what he has done for you as long as you're, as you're bitter towards someone else because of what they've done to you. I'm going to say that again. You cannot be grateful to God for what God has done for you as long as you're bitter towards someone else because of what they have done to you. That's why bitterness is so dangerous. Someone said bitterness will cause you to burn down your house to kill a rat. That is so true. Bitterness is like being an emotional suicide bomber. You want to hurt others, but you wind up killing yourself. It will affect you mentally. Bitterness will affect you emotionally. Bitterness will affect you physically. Let me tell you something about your body. The human spine is an amazing thing. If you've ever watched these weightlifters in the Olympics, it's incredible how much weight they can lift. It's incredible how much more body weight than they weigh they can actually lift. It's incredible. The spine was so built to carry the heaviest of loads, but the body was not built to carry grudges. The body was not built to carry bitterness. The body was not built to, 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 to carry unrequited anger. Doctors now know there are over 50 different diseases ranging from ulcers to high blood pressure that's only caused by one thing, bitterness. Think about that. There are people that have high blood pressure because they're bitter. There are people that have heart disease because they're bitter. There are people that have ulcers because they're bitter. It causes over 50 different diseases. Two, there are two famous clinical doctors. They're both believers, Frank Minnerth and Paul Meyer. Some of you may have heard of them. They have the famous Minnerth Meyer Clinic. They researched 10,000 patients who were burned out. They either quit their job or basically just given up on life itself. They diagnosed the top three reasons why people were burning out, and the results were amazing. Most of us probably walked in here believing, well, I know the number one reason why people burn out. The number one reason why people burn out is because they're just overstressed. They're overworked. They're overextended. You think that'd be the number one reason. You know what they discovered? That's not the number one reason people burn out. It's not even the number two reason people burn out. It's the number three reason people burn out. The number two reason they discovered was because people are like hard-charging, workaholic, type A personalities. They're perfectionists. They can't stand for anything less than perfection. They said that's the number two cause of burnout. But you guessed it. They said they discovered that the number one reason people burn out on their job, burn out on life, burn out on marriage, burn out on parenting, burn out on so many other things is bitterness. The unwillingness to forgive, the unwillingness to let go of a grudge was the dominant cause of burnout. It will affect you physically, it will affect you mentally, it will affect you emotionally, and we've already read, it will affect you spiritually. Because listen to what the author said in verse 14 and continuing into verse 15. He said, strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. Listen to what he was saying. He was saying, if you're a bitter person, I can tell you three things that are true about you. 
You don't have peace on the inside. You won't be holy on the upside. And you won't be gracious on the outside. If you're bitter, that'll be true of you. You won't have peace on the inside. You won't have holiness on the upside. You won't be gracious on the outside. You won't look to God the way you ought to look to God. You won't love God the way you ought to love God. And you won't live for God the way you ought to live for God if you are bitter. So what's the result? You say, well, I decide I'm going to be bitter anyway. He goes on to say this. And by it, many become defiled. Here's the real problem. Bitterness never hurts just one person. Never. Never. I've seen marriages. I'm witnessing a marriage right now being destroyed by the bitterness of one person. I'm watching it. I've seen friendships ruined by bitterness. I've seen lives wasted by bitterness. And, and I just want to encourage you right now, if you're just being, if you'll be honest enough to admit, I do have bitterness. I am bitter toward this person. I am bitter toward that church. I am bitter toward God. I am bitter toward that parent. I am bitter toward that former spouse. I would just encourage you to just stop a moment and just be honest enough to take stock of what your bitterness is doing. Because let me tell you something I guarantee you is true. Your bitterness is not helping anybody, and it's hurting somebody. And your bitterness is not helping anything. It's hurting something. Because that's all bitterness can do. There are zero, no positive effects from bitterness. So you go to the heart of your bitterness. You see the hurt of your bitterness. And then here's the last thing. You remove the hate of your bitterness. Now, let me just kind of stop and, and be honest with everybody in this room. If you're bitter, let me just be honest. This is the hard part. I told you it's going to be a hard sermon, okay? I won't lie to you. This is going to be the hard part. I mean, the hard part is when you have to cut that body open and take that tumor out. That's the hard part, right? And, and, and I'm hoping there's some of you in this room that are ready, willing, and able to do that. Okay, I'm going to help you do it. Now, watch this. The author of Hebrews says, let's read it again. He says, see to it that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. So in order to get rid of bitterness... You've got to remember something, all right? It is a root that is underground. Now, that being true, then there's only one way you can deal with bitterness. You've got to dig it up. You've got to pull it up. You've got to get it out. And you've got to get rid of it. That is the only cure for bitterness. It's what I call a spiritual root canal. Anybody here ever, ever had a root canal? Okay, some of you. Okay. Not the most pleasant thing in the world, right? No, I've never met any. I'm, I've also never met a joyful person headed for a root canal, okay? Not a joy. I mean, even the very term, we just kind of don't, don't like the term. But in case you've never had one or you don't know what it is, it's not pleasant, but it's necessary. And, and, and let me tell you why you have to do it. There are times that a, a root canal is a procedure that has to be done in order to save a tooth. It's either decayed or it's infected. And here's what happens. My, my Teresa had to have a root canal several years ago. The dentist literally goes inside of the tooth. He goes right down into the, into the heart of that tooth. 
And he takes the nerve and the pulp from that tooth, cleans that tooth out completely, totally out on the inside, takes all the decay, all the infection. Then he seals that tooth up so the infection can never return. Now, there's only one alternative to a root canal, only one. You lose the tooth. So if you don't have the root canal, you lose the tooth. So you have a choice. You can go through the messiness, and it's messy. You can go through the pain, and it's painful. You can go through the unpleasantness, and it's not pleasant. You can go through that and save the tooth or lose the tooth, but there's no middle ground. There's no in-between. And what the author of Hebrews is telling us is that bitterness is an infection of the heart, and if you don't remove it, it will kill your heart. It will cause you to lose heart. And God has provided a remedy to cleanse the heart of bitterness, to restore your heart to emotional and spiritual health. And I want to help many of you do something today, okay? I'm going to be right here in the room with you. I'm going to be right here in the operating room with you, okay? And I'm a great doctor, trust me. I've got gentle hands, slow hands, kind hands, velvet hands, unless you don't do what I tell you. So let me help you. Don't walk out of here a bitter person. Walk out of here a better person. Okay, so how do you do it? Well, the first way you deal with bitterness is forget it. Now, let me just stop. I know the wall came back up. So let me just explain what I mean because I'm not saying what some of you think I'm saying. What I mean by forgetting it is you've got to take whatever planted that root of bitterness in your heart. You've got to take whatever caused that root of bitterness to grow in your heart. You've got to take it, and you've got to bury it. Paul put it this way in chapter 4 of Ephesians. He said, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander. Let me stop right there. So where does wrath and anger and clamor and slander come from? Somebody tell me, where does it come from? Yeah, bitterness. That's why he starts there. Let all bitterness. He says, you're not going to get rid of the wrath, the anger, the clamor, the slander. You're not going to get rid of that until you get rid of the bitterness. Let all bitterness and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Now, the word there for put away is a very interesting word. It literally means to dispose of, to, to dispose of discard, bury, bury, get rid of. And what he's saying is this. You've got to get that get-even feeling out of your heart. You, you've got to get rid of that get-even feeling. And oh, by the way, can I just help you on something? You never get even. You're, you're trying to get something you can't get to. You will never get even. Because no matter what you think you could and what you could get away with, no matter what you think you could do to that person that did you wrong, you will never, ever deep down get If you think that will get rid of your bitterness, it won't. You will not get even. You've got to get that get even feeling out of your heart. You've got to bury that problem in an unmarked grave and forget where you buried it. Now, let me tell you what I don't mean by that. You say, well, pastor, does that mean I'll just forget how they hurt me? Nope. Does that mean I'll just forget the, the, the feelings that I used, that I've had and I've had to deal with? No. D does that mean that I can just kind of go into some kind of an amnesiac state and I'll just never, ever think about this again? Absolutely not. But what it does mean is that every time Satan comes back around and tries to replant that seed in your heart, you just kind of bathe it in the antiseptic of God's grace. And you just kind of put it under the water of the pool of your forgiveness. And you just let God deal with it. Let me tell you something. 
Probably some of you are maybe a lot like me right now. I'm going through a situation right now in my life very few people know about, and I'm, my faith's being tested, and I'm having to understand, and I'm having to realize, you know what? And I've told the Lord, I'm not going to get bitter. No matter what's said or what's done, I'm not going to get bitter. I'm just not going to do it. And so I'm where some of you are. Believe me, so I'm preaching to me this morning. But you've got to make a decision just like I've got to make a decision. You can deal with hurt the way the, hurl, the world deals with hurt, or you can deal with hurt the way Jesus deals with hurt. And I've just made up my mind. Until somebody does something worse to me than I've done to Jesus, I'm just not going to get bitter. Until somebody does something worse to me than I've done to Jesus, I'm just not going to get bitter. Let me give you a great illustration of this. I, I didn't even realize this until I worked on this message. Probably outside of Jesus himself, nobody was more mistreated and nobody had more of a quote-unquote right to be bitter in the Bible than a young man named Joseph. And, 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 and if you don't know his story, you ought to go back to the book of Genesis and read it, but if you kind of remember it, I'll kind of re refresh you. He was mistreated by his brothers. They put him in a pit. They left him to die, changed their mind, decided to sell him into slavery. He was then falsely accused of rape and sentenced, and he spent 15 years in prison for something he didn't even do. God eventually rescued him and restored him, but that's not where the story ends. Joseph married an Egyptian woman who bore him two sons. Now, just to have a little fun, anybody know what those two sons' names were? Any, any Old Testament scholars out there? Anybody remember? I can't hear. Who's, who, who said that? Smart aleck. So what were the names again? Yeah, Manasseh and Ephraim. That's right, Manasseh and Ephraim. Okay, see me after the service and you owe me a dollar, okay? Good job, good job, good call, all right? Ephraim and Manasseh. Now, do you think he just called those names out of thin air? you think he just kind of said, I, I think, I mean, who would say Ephraim is a good name? Manasseh? That sounds like you made a mess of Manasseh, right? I mean, just, why would you... Why did he do that? Well, I'll tell you why. You know what the name Manasseh means? It means to remember no more. You know what the name Ephraim means? It means success. And every time Joseph looked at those two boys and every time he called their name, he realized God had taken the sting out of his bitter memories and God had made him a success. You say, how did he do that? Here's what he did. He made a choice you can make. He said, you know what? I make a choice today, just today. Instead of trying to remember what others have done to me, I think I'll just remember what God has done for me. Now, that'll work. And let me tell you something. You want to waste your life? I'll tell you how you can waste your life. Spend every waking moment thinking about, pondering over, stewing over what somebody's done to you. Perfect way to waste your life, and it'll waste your life. Or you can say, you know what? I'm not going to burn another second of my energy remembering what someone's done to me. I want to spend the rest of my life remembering what God has done for me. And because of that, he was successful. So the first thing you got to do you got to forget it. 
Second thing you got to do is you got to forgive it. You got to forgive it. Psychologists and psychiatrists, listen, you can go to all the counselors you want to. I'm not a counselor. Go to any counselor you want to. He'll tell you what I'm going to tell you. There's only one cure for bitterness, only one, not two, not three, not four. And the only cure for bitterness, guess what it is? It's forgiveness. That's the only cure. That's the only hope you to overcome your bitterness is forgiveness. Now, somebody defined forgiveness as giving up my right to hurt you for hurting me. And if you refuse to do that, here's what the author of Hebrews says. He says, you'll fall short of the grace of God. Now, what did he mean by that? He simply means until you go back to the cross of Jesus Christ and you remember how the grace of God has forgiven you, you will never forgive other people. In other words, you'll never forgive someone for what they have done to you until you both realize and experience how God has forgiven you for what you have done to him. You will never forgive someone for what they have done to you until you both realize and experience how God has forgiven you for what you have done to him. You see, when you go to the cross and you go to Jesus, he'll give you the power to experience God's forgiveness, and he'll give you the grace to express that forgiveness to someone else. The great pastor Charles Spurgeon put it this way, and I love what he said. He said, Go to the cross to learn how to have been forgiven and then stay a while to learn how to forgive. Go to the cross to learn how you have been forgiven. Then stay a while to learn how to forgive. Now listen one more time to verse 14. We'll be finished. Look at this. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. You know what that word strive means? It means to pursue. It means to go after in an aggressive fashion. Now, here's the hard part. You say, I thought it's going to get hard. It's not been too awfully bad. Well, give me one more shot. Here's what the author of Hebrews says. If you want peace in your heart, You want to get rid of the bitterness you have because of the person that did you wrong. And they did you wrong. That's not up for debate. I get it. We get, God gets it. Yeah, they, they messed you over. We, we understand that. We're not defending what they did. But if you want to get rid of the bitterness and try to make that thing right, you've got to take the initiative. You can't wait on them to come to you. You've got to go to them. You've got to take the initiative. You've got to end the war. You've got to pull down the defense. You've got to rebuild the bridge. You've got to restore the relationship. You sit there and you say right now, I can't do that. You are exactly right. You can't do that on your own. But by the grace of God, you can do that. Because we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. So, here's the good news. You say, I've heard this before. Same song, same dance, different points, different illustrations. I know, I know what I need to do. I can't do it. You're right. Now, here's the good news. It takes two to forgive someone who's wronged you. It takes two. You and Jesus. You can't forgive them on your own. I get that. You'll never pull it off by yourself. You're right. You've, some of you sitting there, man, I've tried to forgive. I get it. You can't do it, can you? can't do it. No. Because it takes you and it takes Jesus. Now, here's the bottom line. You're going to have to make a choice how you walk out the door this morning. 
You can be full of bitterness and empty of Jesus. Or you can be full of Jesus and empty of bitterness. You can't be both. Your heart's not a duplex, and Jesus says, I'll take one half, bitterness can have the other half. It doesn't work that way. Your heart is a throne, and Jesus says, if bitterness is on the throne of your life, I'm out of here. If I'm on the throne of your life, bitterness is out of here. So this is a choice I'm laying before every one of you today. How are you going to walk out of here? Full of Jesus and empty of bitterness, or full of bitterness and empty of Jesus. Let me just tell you something. I've seen it too many times. I've watched it. I've seen it as a pastor. Ladies and gentlemen and brothers and sisters, bitterness is no way to live. And bitterness is no way to die. I have seen people live bitter. I have seen people die bitter. And I am telling you, it's no way to live. And it is no way to die. The only way to live is as a forgiving person. And the only way to die is as a forgiven person. And you can do both by the grace of God. Let's pray together.